Good morning. Welcome to our service this morning, and see at least one visitor. Welcome to our service. Grateful for the opportunity we have of being together to worship this morning. I noticed after Kendall asked me to preach this morning, by the way, I, he texted me before the service and said that they are uh, going to attend the church in Provo, Utah this morning, a beachy church. And Manson thought that's perhaps the only Mennonite church in Utah. I'm not sure. That's uh, the Mormons are thick out there, I know. So the Lord bless them. I'm not sure if he's sharing or not. He didn't say. So we're grateful to be here. I noticed it's a youth message after that I accepted the fact to preach. So I would like to, uh, my mind was drawn, I guess in this study of Genesis, I have, who would think that Genesis would be such a powerful book for our Sunday school study? And I've been blessed by that, and especially chapter 19, last Sunday's lesson, I thought was just a very powerful lesson and talking about uh, the message this morning that I have entitled, Decisions Have Consequences. And I debated about calling or entitling the message, The Slippery Slope of Compromise. The scripture talks about, I think it talks about a slippery slope. The wicked are on like as on a slippery slope. Can you imagine being on a slippery slope? I've been on those, and the older I get, the less I like to be on a slippery slope. Uh, when you're out in uh, ice-covered conditions, I recall a number of years ago, quite a few years ago, heading to Westville one morning for Sunday morning services, and it was slippery out, slick, had rained or something and froze. And uh, as we were going, we, did, we just kind of encountered the ice, and in front of us were Joe and I and Mary Ellen, and I think John and uh, John William Millers and uh, Jane Elaine in the car. And as they were going through uh, Walkerton, there's a sharp curve on US 6 there, an oncoming car just never made the curve as if there was no... Uh, pavement, it was slick ice, and hit their car, and they had a bit of uh, stiffness or soreness or whatever, and they called an ambulance out, and we were parked behind them, and as the ambulance guys got there, and the EMT, the, he opened the, the back door of the ambulance to get out a stretcher, and he was flat on his back, just like that, it was so slick. So that's hopefully, in our experience in walking with the Lord, we're not, we're not on a slippery slope, but our feet are anchored, we're sure. And the, the lesson was somewhat amazing. And I'm going to read a scripture just directly here from 2 Peter chapter 2, so you can turn to that. But I'm going to be talking a bit today about the the consequences of decisions that we've made. Now, I preached here about, I think, four or five weeks ago, and I talked about um, the choices we have made, determined what we were, choices we were making yesterday or in the past, determine kind of where we're at today, and maybe this message, I thought of it as I was studying, you know what, I'm, I hope I'm not going to repeat myself this morning. But uh, have you ever wished or thought it would be nice to go back in time and undo a decision that you made that is now affecting your life. In other words, you're living with the reality of things that are going on in your life that are a result of maybe a, not the best decision that you made years ago or some time ago. 
and you don't like the outcome of some of the choices that you've made in the past. So we have at times maybe dreamed about going back in time to alter something in our past to change the present. And that's not necessarily saying these have eternal consequences, always our decisions. We made the decision this year as, as a farm crew, uh, the guys that farmed, Manson and myself and, and others that we farm with, that we were going to plant a certain soybean and it was going to benefit us greatly. There was a $2 premium on growing this certain soybean that there was, it's, it's used for cooking oil. But the, the problem with this bean was it's, you couldn't use newer technology for weed control. So if we thought, well, we'll do a, a careful job. And you know, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we have some weeds coming through, or did see weeds coming through, and there's really no options out there to give good control for those weeds. And we did spray some to try to control those weeds, and it burned the beans badly. In fact, the neighbor just commented and said, you know, what in the world? He was talking to my wife yesterday, or she was, and said, what did you do to those beans? And it really burned them. And it's really, the, the guy said, well, the maybe 50% control of the weed that's kind of resistant to the herbicides that we use today. That was a decision that I thought, wow, I wish I could do that over. I wouldn't decide to do that. Have you ever been there? Thought those things. The circumstances that we may or you may be dealing with may very well be the result of a decision made in the past. And I may regret the decision, but I can't go back. There is nothing like a time warp machine. Maybe we fantasized and read books and whatever where they talk about time warp where you can somehow back up in time and so the consequences of what the reality of today is can be changed because we can make a different decision than when actually, what was actually made. There's nothing like that. We may repent of a decision that we made in the past. And rightly so. God convicts us or we become a Christian. We may repent of that decision, but even the repentance will not change the consequences of how I must live today as a result of that decision. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? It could change things, but it may not. If there was a bad decision made, it, it carries. If there is the law of sowing and reaping in this decision. But you know, it is truly a blessing to know that God is able. He's working in that situation where I am in spite of the consequences that I may be suffering as a result of a bad decision in the past. God is present and is there when we call on him. That is a blessing of serving. His grace is sufficient. Not that it changes, may change some of the things that have happened or are happening because of that, but we, we can see it in a more of a redemptive way that God can be working in that. So I'd like to read from 2 Peter, chapter 2, and starting in verse 9. And the reason I picked this passage, maybe the primary reason, is because it talks about the, the person that we focused on on Lesson 19 was Lot. And what happened to Lot. And that's my emphasis this morning. The decisions that Lot made versus the decisions that Abraham made. The different outcomes of two people that actually were kindred. Lot, as I understand, was, was uh, Abram's, calls him Abram, I say Abraham or Abram, I'm, I'm talking about the same person. He was his nephew. And the oldest son in, in Tira's, the oldest of Tira's sons, and I'm not sure if that was uh, Haran or who that was anymore, I didn't check. But he died, and so Lot was, uh, when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, and, and maybe we'll get into that more, Lot went with him, or 
Maybe he was actually maybe almost as Abram's son. I don't know how that was. Abraham didn't have any sons at the time. So I'd like to read here because it mentions him. I'm going to start in verse 4, and we're going to read about five verses here. It says in verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now, here's talking about judgment to come for angels. That isn't fulfilled totally yet, at least. But someday will be. And God's not going to forget judgment. He's not going to forget evil that people have done. I think that's maybe one of the emphasis here. And in verse 5, And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. Simply, there were eight saved, it says in the previous chapter, or I think it's in chapter 3. So I think it's, he's called the eighth person because there were eight souls saved that was Noah's sons and their wives. A preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the earth of the ungodly. And turning, now here he's referring to our lesson last week. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that are after that those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the, the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So Peter is talking here about the judgment of God. He knows how to punish the ungodly, and that, that punishment is going to be sure, it says. He's not going to forget the angels that left their first estate. But that punishment is coming. Eternal damnation. Hellfire, as I understand the scriptures. And he didn't, there was also judgment on the sinfulness of the Jordan Valley. What was going on in that valley of Jordan. And those people did not go unpunished. But he says in verse 9 that the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Now, the meaning of that is, is ta he's talking about, about Lot. He delivered him out of that severe judgment or trial because he deemed him righteous. Now, God's estimation here in Peter of Lot is, as we discussed this in Sunday school, it's a much higher elevation of Lot's condition than what we were putting him at. We were pretty hard on Lot. Why is he even listed here? Why should he be here? But you know, there is a, a, a part of that that brings hope to me. We have a chance when we mess up, when we make wrong choices, wrong decisions that have affected us and are going to affect us perhaps, ongoing, and yet God is we can come to God here in the present, where we find ourselves today. And he says here that he is there. Lord knoweth how to deliver such a one. So he speaks of God's destruction of the world in Noah's day. And he speaks of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Abraham's day. And the cities of the plain. And I find something else here in this passage, and it's a stark contrast. God saved righteous Noah. Well, rightly so, we say. He made all the right decisions, and that resulted in saving his family. He had sons, and he had daughter-in-laws. He had his wife. They were all saved because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well, the contrast here, uh, there's a sharp contrast. I see God saving 
righteous, it calls him righteous, Lot, who seemed to have made all the wrong decisions and ultimately paid so dearly for it with his family, even his children, his wife too. Well, my message today is certainly not to encourage anyone to live a double-minded life like Lot was living. In James, it talks about the, a double-minded man being unstable in all his ways. And I don't know. I see Lot as being a double-minded person to the point where, you know, the question can be raised about a carnal Christian. At what point is a carnal Christian lost? Can we live so carnally and still be a Christian? It's a, it's a slippery slope, I would say, to, to be in that kind of a condition. It's not to encourage you to make the decisions Lot made, and hopefully we will gain wisdom and avoid the mistakes Lot made. That's the purpose of preaching from these incidences in the Old Testament. They are, it calls them examples or examples of how we should live today. And that's how we get instruction from Scripture, actually. How did those people live and what were the consequences? And, we, and the Holy Spirit can use that to tell us, don't live that way. That's a dangerous, there's consequences to living that way. There was for Lot. In today's message, I would also want to encourage those that may have made some poor decisions and are reaping the consequences today. And I have no one particular in mind. But there are those people that I know that have, that face just the stark realities of some, some really bad decisions and they're, would you say, reaping the consequences today of past sin or past mistakes or poor choices. Decisions that have altered lives for the worst, for the worse. What do we do if we have that hanging over us? But you know, really, as I was thinking about that, I have a feeling that all of us in some way, can identify with Lot in certain facets of our lives. In fact, I think many of the great men in the Bible could identify with Lot in that way, in certain parts of their lives. Let me just look at a few. I thought of Noah. We studied him earlier in Genesis. After the flood, it says that he, he planted a vineyard and he squeezed the grapes, and he made wine. And he drank of that wine, and he was drunk. And the consequences of that were that it resulted in his son Ham coming in and seeing his father in a state that he shouldn't have been seeing him and mocking him or whatever was going on there. And uh, Noah found out about that. And there was a curse on Ham because of, there was a consequence of, of a poor choice. We would say Ham made a poor, or yes, Ham made a poor choice, but who before Ham made it? Uh, maybe a, a worse choice, that was Noah. And we know the consequences of adultery with Bathsheba, David's adultery with Bathsheba. And the resulting havoc brought upon his family. All because it, he did that. That was a terrible mistake. Something that he probably wished later, I should, I wish I could, not only did he commit adultery, but he, in a sense he murdered Uriah, the Hittite. And then we know the story of Samson and the consequences of loving this ungodly woman, Delilah. 
And the resulting consequence was that he was imprisoned and his eyes were gouged out. All because of bad decisions. And by the way, Samson is in that hall of, of faith in Hebrews 11. Now, if that did, we would think, well, wow, how did God, or how did the writer there mess that up? Well, actually, it gives us hope. It's a, it, it encourages me to see that men that I don't know, they had faith in God. They repented. They made those bad mistakes. But it says then that in his death, when he, over, when he pulled those pillars in, that he destroyed more of the enemies of God than he did in his whole life. What a way to go. And yet I expect, if I'm faithful and I get to heaven, I expect to see Samson there. What a merciful God, what a gracious God that we serve. Maybe you are one of those who would like to go back and take advantage of a lost opportunity that you passed up some 20 years ago, maybe 40 years ago. You could still think back and say, I, I missed. I made a bad decision. I wish I could go back and redo that. I thought of, of, of friends that I have that their marriages failed. And I've, I've wondered already, do they think, I wish I could go back and try to, to do things differently to save that marriage? Maybe you are one of those that would like to go back and relive, if you could only, relive your rebellious teenage years. Or you would like to relive that moment when you gave in to a weakness for which you and others have been paying for dearly all their lives or all your life. I don't know. I didn't go back through everyone here and decide this is what this person did and whatever. I had nothing like that in mind when I put this together. I did think of this for myself. There are times when I've thought I would like to go back in time and take back some of the harsh words that I've said. But you know, that's impossible. I can't. I can make things right. Or maybe you would like to go back and resist some sexual fantasy that brought your downfall. If only I could. Maybe you would like to go back so that you could just avoid the present harsh realities of what you're facing. If I could just do this differently, but we can't. We can't. There's no time warp. There's nothing like that. We may have to bear crosses daily that we have made for ourselves. In fact, we've hung ourselves on our own cross, on that cross. And I'm not talking about bearing the cross, if you know what I'm saying. I think we are to bear the cross of Christ, and we suffer for the consequences of serving him. That's one kind of cross bearing, but I'm talking about a cross that we nailed ourselves on there. The reality is we made some poor choices and some poor decisions. That's the kind of cross I'm talking about. But there again, I would like to remind us that there is a God whose grace can save us even as we hang on our self-made crosses. That is the hope that we offer this morning in this message. And his grace for the present gives us strength to go on. And it says that there is yet a future for us. The reality is there is heaven for us if we remain faithful and true to him. That is the grace of God. Now, I'd like to look at the example of Lot here. You would think that Lot was one person in Scripture who would no doubt 
And I think probably he would no doubt have loved to go back in time and relive his past in order that he might make some different decisions. Wouldn't you think so after what happened in chapter 19? Well, the reason that I think that he may have thought that is because that the Bible says here in Peter that he was a righteous man. He was a righteous person. And a righteous man, righteous people see their mistakes and I believe they mourn over them. We learn from Lot that even righteous people can make some really bad decisions. And as we study Lot's life, there's a reason for these stories in Scripture or these incidents, these recordings in Scripture, that we could learn those lessons without having to face them and go through them ourselves. That's the point of our study in Genesis or in all of Scripture is to learn from Scripture. What does Scripture teach us? What is the Word of God teaching us? So I said that he was Abraham's nephew in Genesis 12. I think it's in verse 5. And also the beginning of, verse, uh, of chapter 13, it says that he left Ur, with, Ur of the Chaldees with uh, Abraham or Abram when God called Abraham to leave and to go into a strange country, a country they weren't familiar with. And as a result, we read in those chapters how as a result of Abraham's obedience and following God, how God, he, he became very wealthy. He had flocks and had herds, servants. I'm going to read a portion of scripture from Genesis 13. If you want to turn there, you can. Verses 5 and nine, through 9, it says, And Lot also, which went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. And tents were for the servants, for his own uh, family. I'm not sure where he acquired his wife. I'm not sure if I didn't look, but I, I don't, I'm not aware that we know where Lot's wife came from. And it says in verse 6, And the land was not able to bear them. Now he's talking about him and Abraham because of their vast flocks and herds and so on, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great so that it could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle, that's verse 7, and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzites dwelt in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And it would appear like they were standing on some high place where they could observe the land, the layout of the land. You've been at those places. It can look really fascinating and beautiful, what we can see from that kind of elevation. So they were up there, they were observing, and Abraham is saying, look, we're brethren. Let's, let's separate in peace. Let's not have this strife going on between us. That's the kind of character that Abraham was. Then if we go to verse 10 and 11, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes. That's just simply saying Lot looked around him and beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere. And then it makes this statement, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's kind of interesting that that's inserted in there. This is the, the picture of that valley, or that, the Jordan Valley, I think it's called. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor, and then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent 
towards Sodom. Not significant that it says that. There we get an, indica an indicator of what was driving Lot. Verse 13 says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. You couldn't find a worse place to pitch your tent toward. Does that mean the tent was, the tent door was facing Sodom? Or does that mean that he wanted to get as near as he could? Not quite sure what that means. And as we read this story, it reminds me of my inner nature that tells me to look out for myself, first of all. Look out for number one, we hear sometimes. Take care of yourself. Perhaps you have observed two people struggling in a relationship. And it seems like each one is trying to squeeze the other for all that they can get. Maybe you've been in that kind of a situation. What happens when you have two children and only one candy bar? Now, I'm a dad of seven children, so I know how that goes. They need, you say, well, you need to share. You need to cut it in half. And here's one way, maybe for you parents that are just starting out here, wondering how to, to solve that problem. Here's one way that I found helpful. The one that was instructed, or was the oldest perhaps, he was to divide the candy bar. And then the one that didn't divide it could choose which half he wanted. And I tell you what, that thing was divided perfectly. Very close. You couldn't get it closer. If the one that cuts it can take his share first, you know it's going to be bigger. He's going to take advantage, especially if it's the older one. That's human nature. That's how we were born. That was Lot's nature. Abraham was born that way too. So this gives us an insight into the human nature. This gives us insight into how Lot was thinking. Have you ever made one of those decisions where you just knew you couldn't lose? Just clearly, wow, this is the way I want to go. It almost seems like that's where Lot was at. Wow, I can't believe this. Abraham is offering me a choice here. There was really no question in Lot's mind. Look at that grass. Now, they were nomads or herdsmen or whatever you call them. They had flocks, huge flocks. They had, I don't know if they had camels as well. I think they probably did. <clears throat> they had animals that eat grass. And here was the Jordan Valley spread out like the Garden of God like the Garden of Eden, maybe you could say, or like it was in Egypt along the Nile River. Very, very fertile, prosperous place. And can you imagine the dollar signs, shekel signs, I don't know what they had, the kind of money, going around in his head as he looked at that and said, you know what? There is those cities, they're full of people that have wealth. What a market I'll have for what I could produce there on those, that fertile plain. It's, there's no question. Well, that's exactly what Lot did. He was looking out for number one when he made this decision. You know, think about this. Abraham, or Abram, should have had the first choice. Shouldn't he have? He's the one actually that called, God called to go. And he, in his goodness and, and grace, invited Lot to go with him. I, I guess that's the way it was. Maybe he took him under his wing since his, his father was dead. 
and he was quite a bit older. And I think he was probably like a father to Lot. So it should have been Abram's choice. Lot could have come back and said, look, Abram, you take the one side of the Jordan River, and I'll take the Jordan River goes right down through here. There's plenty there. You take the one side, and I'll take the other. We won't have strife because the Jordan will be there a barrier. Our herdsmen won't get into tangles like this. Well, he didn't. Lot took it all, it says. But it seems like Abraham made the better decision to say, Lot, you take your first choice here. And it's not worth, we're brethren, it's not worth destroying that relationship. How many times do you come to that conclusion when there's a dispute going on and you just think, wow, my brother in Christ is so, so selfish. I can't believe it. And it, we resent that. I don't know that Abraham, I don't know what he was thinking. So Lot was, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And he had the best land, he had water, and he had cities to trade with, which would enhance his economic fortunes. It seemed as though this decision gave Lot the edge. Lot never dreamed where this one decision of life would lead him or what the consequences would be. Never was it in his mind, even remotely, I don't think. Now today, we as Christians, how do we think when we see those or I could grab something for myself how do we look at that I'm sometimes surprised at how Christians do business I heard one Mennonite businessman say once that the worst people to deal with are his fellow Mennonites that come in there in his store well that's kind of a sad commentary But one thing maybe that we overlook here, it's an amazing thing that happens here after this story, that immediately after Lot's departure, God speaks to Abram. And if this was a moment of great testing for Abram, you know, I think it probably was. Here, uh, his Lot is departing. And they depended on each other for defense against the enemies. And here, that, no doubt, he was like a son, and he was leaving, and he had taken the best, just took it for himself. And furthermore, there were, the land had the Canaanites and Perizzites who posed a threat, apparently, because it mentions them. And it's probably in times like these when we need God's assurance. When we feel like perhaps we've been taken advantage of and we, we don't make a fuss, we take it. We wave, Abraham waved his rights and then God appears. Verse 14 in Genesis 13 it says, And the Lord said unto Abraham, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes and look for the, from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. Now that's everywhere, isn't it? Didn't Lot take some of that? For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. What a promise. What a time to tell Abraham this again. God came at the right moment and told him this. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of memory. Mamre, which is in Hebron, 
and built there an altar unto the Lord. So it's encouraging. When we give up our rights, God is with us in a very real way. You talked earlier about judgment. We read from Peter. God doesn't forget. He, he's, he, God is a faithful God to the, if we're faithful to him. He's not going to somehow, oh, I forgot what you did back there. God doesn't do that. He also doesn't forget judgment that is due someone. He's not like men are. Oh, well, I can overlook that. It's been long enough now. and I, It's out of my mind. I forgot it. God remembers those things, and it's encouragement to us that God here reassured Abraham and that he renewed, in a sense, reviewed or renewed the promise that he had made to him earlier. So in this story from, from Genesis, we see two righteous men making decisions that would affect them for the rest of their lives. One makes his decision based on the temporal, the present things that he was seeing with his literal eyes. The other makes a decision based on the eternal. Abraham made a decision that he would spend his life and this is in, in uh, it says this in Hebrews, and I'm not going to take the time. It says, for, he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And it wasn't here on this earth. He was sojourning here. And scripture encourages us to have that kind of a mindset, friends, as Christians. We have no abiding city here. And sometimes we think we're going to be here forever. And we make choices, we we scheme, we determine, and we, are, we regret not making choices, buying land when it was $300 an acre. I just was talking to Reuben Yoder several weeks ago. He, they came with us to church here. He's the administrator, was for 25 years at, where uh, Alan and Brenda's sons are. And he told me when that place started, and I forget what the years were. Brenda probably would know. They had formed a board, and they bought this land. I don't know. There was a home there maybe already, a county home or something. And the people that sold them the land, the county or the people in charge of the land, offered them acreage. All they wanted to buy that was in that property Guess what? For $9 an acre. Today that land is, I don't know if it's worth as much as land here. It may be because it's in high demand for the rich folks in the big cities that want to have a piece of the mountain or the country to build their homes. $9 an acre. <laughs> and the board said, no, we have no need for that. I thought of those things already as I thought of decisions my father made and how I made early in life. And I think, wow, why didn't we take advantage of that situation? Well, friends, in reality, we have no abiding city here. It's all going to burn. And so, Lot looked toward the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it, they were soon going to be reduced Scripture says to ashes, and it apparently not just ashes, but it, it rained from heaven, brimstone, sulfur, salt. I don't know what all is in that valley, but it doesn't produce a thing. It's where the Dead Sea is, I think. You can't, no, I don't think any life survives in the Dead Sea, not even, not even fish or whatever. It's just so bad, alkaline. Friends, uh, some decisions, and, and you, youth especially, may not seem very significant, but they set a particular course for our lives. Let's not make even some insignificant decisions carelessly. 
And some decisions that we make may not seem very important, but the final outcome can be terrifying and tragic. And often the appearance is that the choice is one that is certain to be our, to our advantage. And it often is self-centered and selfish. When we make those kinds of decisions, look out. So far more than the loss of his possessions and his property, Lot paid a terrible price for his short-lived pleasure. According to Peter, Lot's righteous soul was vexed by what he saw in the city. And I think the meaning of him being vexed was the fact that he chose to live in among very wicked people. Of course, he was in turmoil in his soul. He was be when you live in an environment like that, don't fool yourself. You're going to be affected. So in one part, Lot was vexed. He didn't like what he was seeing and happening. And yet, why didn't he just move out? Get, a, get away from that place. There was a pull there for him. And even though he vexed his soul, he could not. In fact, when the angels came, and they had communed with Abraham, the Son of God, I believe, was there, Jesus incarnate. He stayed, and the two men, the two angels, went on down to Sodom. And they came to Sodom to destroy it. And Abraham had just interceded to God that if there were ten righteous people in that city, God would spare the city. God made that promise. So these angels came. To rescue Lot, it says in Genesis 19. Earlier, Lot was delivered. After he left Abraham, you know those five kings came and they, they attacked. They warred against Sodom and Gomorrah and the kings there. And Lot was taken and all his substance was confiscated by the, those enemies. And guess what Abraham did? He went and delivered. He went and rescued Lot. Now, my way of thinking, if my nephew would have made that kind of choice, I said, well, he had it coming. Look, look what happened. Not Abraham. He cared about his, about Lot. He rescued him. So it seems like one writer said that after that incident, Lot sold his tents. Now, this is a figure of speech, probably. And he bought a condo in Sodom. And he moved right in. He was no longer in tents, but he was in the city itself. And apparently, the angels came to rescue him. And the city was so bad that the men of the city came to Lot's home desiring to have sex with the angels that were staying there. They, I don't think they were probably aware they were angels. And it, for Lot... This was a bad thing. He had invited these angels, and the, the rules of hospitality meant that they were to be protected at all costs. And yet, look at what Lot says. He says that, uh, I believe, maybe, that the influence of living in Sodom desensitized Lot, and he gave him such a poor standard. So he goes out, and he calls out these men of the city and said, don't do this wicked thing to these men that are my guests. And look what he suggests in verse 8. Lot was a righteous man, and yet he offered his virgin daughters to the men to provide safety for the angels. I can't even, we as parents can't even comprehend that. Right? What a warped way of thinking. What was he thinking? What desensitizes us? Exposure to wickedness can des desensitize a righteous person. Did you know that? 
The men of the city, but the men of the city pressed him to the point where the angels had to reach out and they rescued Lot and they struck those men with blindness. No doubt they saved his life there already. Why didn't, anyway, I won't go into some of the other things I could say here. But as we look then further in the chapter, verses 15 through 26, the dawn came, the next morning came, and the, the angels urged Lot and said, you've got to get out of here. We're going to, to destroy this city. We were sent to bring you out. And if you don't go, and you're, take your daughters with you, take your wife with you, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. And yet he hesitated. Why did he hesitate? So the men grabbed his hands and his hands of his wife and his daughters, and they led them safely out of Sodom, for the Lord was merciful to them. And then they said, don't look back. Run for your lives. Run to the mountains. Run to the hills. Run to the caves. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. And then, of course, Lot, he begs to go to this. It's just a small city, Zor. And yet I find it interesting that he didn't stay there because it was too dangerous there, too. I don't know. There was a wickedness there, too, that he found more safety in the mountains or in the cave. And then it says, after the sun was already up, Lot and his family were out. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom. What a judgment. I wouldn't have wanted to be close to that. The stench, the smell, the screams. Can you imagine? The sons-in-laws and apparently some of Lot's daughters perishing. Lot was as one that mocked. The other translations say, you're joking. What kind of a character was Lot that his son-in-laws thought he was joking? Was he a jokester? Didn't take life very seriously. I don't know what kind of person he was. And you know in the process that everything was burned. The cities, the vegetation in the land. And Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. I don't expect to see her in glory. She looked back with longing, apparently. And then we see in, verses, in 19, verses 29 and 30, that when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of that catastrophe. Really, because of Abraham, that Lot was maybe delivered. I don't know if he would have been delivered or not. Why is it so hard sometimes to make right choices? Someone has pointed out that life seems to be arranged backwards. And maybe you've thought of it. I've thought of it this way already. We are called upon to make our most important choices at a time when we have the least amount of experience to guide us. You know, God knows that, doesn't he? And so because of that, we, we frequently hear expressions of regret like, if only I had known. Or we can hear, we hear somebody say, if I had it to do over again, and on and on, people regret. I, I didn't know. So is God unfair to put these choices in front of you young people? Some choices that what do I do here? When I was um, a young man, and when I made the decision to follow Jesus, my parents gave me a Bible. And my father wrote this inside the front cover, and it's from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know that passage. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Young people, if you found Christ, and that's probably that's the most important choice you'll ever make. And I think most of you probably sitting up here have, have made that profession that I'm going to follow Christ. You know what? The Holy Spirit is in you. And there is 
I think it's in James where it says, chapter 1, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So as you go through life, the, the choices that you're making now, if you lack the wisdom, you don't have gray hair yet. You don't have much experience yet. But you can ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He doesn't withhold from a sincere, truth-seeking Christian. That's such a blessing. We could go to many scriptures to, to say that. Just, uh, just, a, just a warning, young people. When we make even little decisions that we know are in conflict with our relationship with the Lord, it's going to affect us negatively. And we do that. I, I did that as a youth. I knew. I made some decisions that I knew. I, it won't affect me. I, have a, I had a close friend my age about back in those days that Things weren't going well for him in church. Minister got on his case about things. And he told me later, many years later, he said, I left the church, but I was not going to leave the Lord. And I was going to come back to the church, but I wanted to teach those men a lesson on how to treat young people. You know what? Some of those unwise choices he made led him down a terrible life of sin and prison. And in, in later years, he came back to the Lord or tried to come back to the Lord. And he said, all the things I learned as a youth, all the things, all the memory verses I learned in school, he went to United Christian School with me. The Lord took, Satan took those away. I didn't even know scripture anymore. And it's been a hard row for him ever since, trying to live for the Lord. Just a life of sin Children that, wife that, are not together. What a hard row. Satan can be so deceptive. He offers something, just this little thing. Friends, young people, don't, don't get into that trap. He's, it's a gradual pull away from the Lord. When we yield to those kinds of things, we don't know what the future holds. But we can, we serve, we can make the intelligent decisions based on the fact that we're serving someone who knows the future. My wife and I experienced this when we were dating. She was from a different kind of church than I was. And I didn't see things, we didn't see things the same way. But we sought the Lord's guidance. And we made some choices that I, I just told her yesterday or whenever we were talking about this morning that God was with us in that, even though we were uncertain. And it was at the point where I thought, we can't hardly go on in our relationship. We were already engaged. We considered breaking up. But God was faithful. And the choices that we made, I don't think we'd do it any different. I'm not saying that, that we were just a perfect somehow example, because we weren't. But God was faithful. Even though we didn't know the future, God was with us because we were trusting him. So I encourage young people especially, and us older ones that find ourselves wherever we do today, turn to God. Be, he's the one that will guide us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word, the instruction that we get from the word. We see some of the mistakes that people made in the, in the Old Testament we face those same kinds of choices today in our lives. We pray especially for our young people. Some things that we could decide or they could decide, you know what, I can make some, some decisions. I, I know it's really not very pleasing to you or maybe it's not even my parents don't want me to do this, but I'm just going to go ahead and do them. There are consequences to those, that way of thinking and it can lead us away. Give us the desire to do what is right. And we have God's word. And we would like to just find the answers to our life in the word of, word of truth. 
So we pray that you would bless the message this morning to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.